Spinning out of control, here we go Foot to the pedal, till it's touching the metal Let's rock and roll, yeah So they need them, get them tigers to screech and I beat them Check the flags, last lap, nobody can beat them It's just that it's a party, put it on in the carpool And hear us talk a lot of NASCAR in the audio Singing loud, we don't just want it out of mode We're getting dirty around here, yeah We're in the marbles we're in the marbles uh, We're in the marbles We're in the marbles Welcome, foolish mortals, to episode 28 of In the Marbles with Soda and Ethan. My name is Soda. You can find me on Twitter at Soda underscore Hunter. That was amazing. I, <laughs> that was so awesome. Uh, I am Ethan, and you can find me on Twitter at Viva La Ethan. That's so silly. Oh, dude. Anyway. Loved it. I'm, we're going to keep it in. That's fun. Yeah, sure. How you been doing, man? Hey, you know what? One day at a time. How are you? Uh, same early mornings at work, man. Ooh, I, I wake up at 3 a.m. to go to work every day. I feel that. That's, oof, I haven't done that in a long time. I haven't worked in six months before this, so <laughs> that's a heck of a schedule to get used to. Again. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm not too far behind you. I have to wake up at four, so you know what that means. It's a great time to rip open a rowdy energy, the official <laughs> energy drink of In the Marbles with Soda Ethan. Well, I have the next four days off, so. Oh, I'm happy. Nice. Yeah, I'm happy. I don't go back to work on Monday. Uh, yeah, we're recording on a Wednesday night. All, all kayfabe gone with that. Yeah. This episode 28, you know who I'm going to say for 28. Yes, sir. I think we're going to say the probably the same person. Yeah. Davey Allison is, to me, the most iconic driver, even over Kelly Albro and all that. Davey Allison, to me, is the most iconic driver in that 28 car uh, i was gonna say ricky rudd but okay. ricky rudd yeah well ricky rudd is not as iconic as they no was. no not a chance no once kelly arbor stepped away from it davy made the 28 special oh absolutely for sure how many wins did he have his rookie year in 87 was it two uh, i want to say it was two wins i think tony stewart wound up breaking his record when he came along, that's how long it lasted. It lasted 22 years. No, no, maybe about 12 years. I, I'm, I'm thinking it's another decade. I'm adding a decade to it. But I want to say Tony Stewart either tied or broke that record when he came along. And yeah, I want to say Davey won two races, at least two races. His rookie year in '87. I, I don't know to be honest with well, you. He won Talladega for sure. And I can't really place the next one he won, but I know for for a fact he won Talladega. Mm -hmm. 
Well, let's talk about Davey a little bit because I have an interesting thing to talk about because this will be the Halloween episode. You know, we, yeah, Halloween's Monday, right? So I think it's Monday, isn't it? Yeah, yeah which sucks because, man, I, I, you know, not to cut you off or anything, but no, go ahead. Uh, Drew, you know, Drew Vinsel, he put up a post or a, a poll on Twitter asking whose favorite holiday, whether it's Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, Halloween, all this stuff. Uh, you know, Christmas like ended up beating out uh, Halloween, but I mm-hmm. love Halloween. Like the older I get, the more I love Halloween. And to have it on a Monday sucks because you still have to go to work. Banks are still open, the whole thing. So, like, I don't know. I'm just not going to do anything this year because it's on a Monday. Well, it seems like everybody locally in my area is just celebrating on Saturday. Mm, Okay. That's what everybody seems to be doing in my area. Actually, we have a thing tomorrow night where we're walking through town and all the businesses are open with, like, trick-or-treating for the kids. Oh, nice. And then Saturday, I think our local town's doing trick-or-treating. So we're not waiting all the way to Monday. From what I understand, we might be the only ones out there Saturday. Who knows? Yeah, and it sucks that, you know, you have to live an hour away from the people you care about the most. So <laughs> there's nothing for me this Halloween. Woohoo! Hmm. Well, I hate that for you. I think Christmas won out mostly because I know I chose Christmas. I did too. But I think Christmas went out for the most part in that poll just because more people go all out for Christmas. Oh, for sure. Like, I can ride through town right now, a small town, not a big town at all. Mm-hmm. We we have the worst, smallest little Walmart you're ever going to see. We're that kind of town. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can walk. I can roll. I'm not walking. I can drive through town, and I can see maybe four or five houses decorated up. For Halloween? Oh, really? Yeah. But give it a month. I'll probably see about 30 or 40 houses all decked out for Christmas. Yeah. It's just when more people get into it, it tends to make the holiday more fun. Absolutely. So, you know, I've like, I've done all the events. You know, I'm a big Disney World guy. You know, we, our family, hope, you know, we travel to Disney World all the time. I've done the Halloween events at Disney. I've done the Christmas events at Disney. And honestly, I like the Christmas stuff better. I mean, I love the villains and stuff. Sure. I love all that. But as far as the atmosphere and the vibe you get from it, yeah. you can't beat the Christmas stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one cool thing about my my uh, my hometown, uh, we actually had three different elementary schools. And we recently just built one big ginormous elementary school and some i think it's like one of the old elementary schools we are not we i'm not involved with it but the the city is going in there and making it a um like a haunted house or like a haunted school Mm. or something uh and you know it costs like five bucks to go in and and you'll just have like random people uh jumping out at you i guess uh i don't know i kind of wanted to do it because out of like all these years i've lived here i've never been inside that school so i have no idea you know if it was like the elementary school i went to which is still you know the building was still up i would have had way more fun at that you know but it'd be really cool to have like teachers you know like all skeletoned out and i mean there's still that teacher but like dead 
or you know, I don't know, but I, I thought it would be really cool. If it's an old elementary school, it's closed. Yeah, get kids. Oh, that's not that's weird. <laughs> yeah, get kids <laughs> like seven, eight years old to walk around all. Oh yeah, all ghouled out. I'll tell you what, Mm-mm. that would that would freak some people out. Yeah, it would. I, I mean, uh-uh. children are scary. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Heck yeah, they are. Anyway, let's move on in the episode a little bit. Sure. This is our Halloween episode. Yes. Um, I want to get into a couple of little, one big thing uh, entitled "The Curse of the Twenty Eight. Ooh. But real quick, I mentioned it before we were recording. There is one solid ghost story I know from NASCAR. Oh, I don't like this. In 1991, oh. a driver named J.D. McDuffie at Watkins Glen went into turn, what turn is that? At the time, I think it was turn five because they didn't put the interloop in yet. Oh, okay. So that's the fastest part of the racetrack. Without the interloop, mm-hmm. flying wide open into that corner. His brakes fail. Oh. And the brake rotor actually broke and shot from what I understand, it shot through the floorboard and hit him in the chest. And that's what actually killed him. The impact was awful. He hit the tire barrier and flipped upside down and somebody came. I forget who it was. It might've been Bobby Hillen uh, because he's part of the story later. He came in underneath them as he was in the air and hit the tire barrier too, because I guess he got, got caught up in some debris or something and blew a tire and went right into it, right Mm -hmm. underneath them. Sure. Literally. And it wasn't, but maybe about 30 minutes later in the race, they announced that Jay McDuffie had died from that wreck. Wow. Fast forward a few years later, at that exact same turn, Bobby Hillen Jr. was doing his practicing for Watkins Glen. He came out of the interloop, made that turn that Jay McDuffie died at, mm-hmm. and he swears that he saw J.D. McDuffie's ghost standing on the side of the racetrack. He saw a figure, and he said it looked just like J.D. McDuffie, just standing right by the grass, right off the curb. He pulled into the pits. Why is a ghost? Yeah. Like, could not believe what he just saw. And nobody would tell him differently the way what he saw. If you see it, you see it, right? Right, yeah. Nobody's going to convince you any differently. I mean, I feel like... Now, you know, it would have been a little bit more sus if it was the five-year anniversary or the 10-year anniversary to the day, you know, something like that. But this is just like a random, like, two years. Yeah, Yeah. you know, it's not the race. It's nothing. And I'm pretty sure that if you're a race car driver, you are very much paying attention to what's around you, especially at Watkins Glen. They have the, um, uh, not turtles, but um, not berm. What do you call that thing? Uh, curb curb okay cool we'll just go with, yeah you there's pieces of curb that you can like run your car on to you know shrink the uh to get around the turns a little bit uh, just a smash mm-hmm. smudge uh faster i mean you're right there so i mean if if this race car driver says that he saw someone standing right there on the edge of the grass i mean i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell him he's delusional he, 
And he got a good enough look at him to know that it looked like J.D. McDuffie. Yeah, which... Uh, the the guy who died at that exact turn, at that exact track, several years before that. Right. I mean, this is like a random Wednesday. Like, mm-hmm. nothing... It wasn't a special day. It wasn't a... You know, it wasn't anything. It was just a random Wednesday. Uh, no, I... I blah, 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 blah. That, uh, ooh, that freaks me out, man. I don't do... I'm a grown man. 28 years old. I'm not really scared of much, but... The G.H. O S T S is that how you spell it? Ghost. Ghost. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. T-H-O-S-T. <laughs> yeah. Those things, man. I I'm uh whew, I don't like that. Whew. Here's a, another thing that happened in Indianapolis, and it involves Dale Earnhardt. Ooh. After he won the Brickyard 400 in 1995, I believe that's the year he won. Yeah. 1995, he won the Brickyard 400. He was celebrating, of course, and late late evening at the track, he decided to take his uh, motorcycle around the racetrack one last time before he took off. Just soak it all in. Just ride around the empty track all by himself on the motorcycle. Yeah. So he's putting along 40, 45 miles an hour, just enjoying everything. And... Then they notice, because he's not on a radio, he's not on TV or anything, but they're watching him from like haulers and stuff. Sure. Then they notice that on the back straightaway, he speeds up and does the rest of the lap at over 100 miles an hour on that little motorcycle. Really? He coming to the pits. I'll say the phrase again because it suits it. Why is a ghost? He said he saw something that made him want to get off that racetrack as fast as he could. What on earth? A lot of speculation over the years, because that is probably one of the deadliest racetracks in all of motorsport. Yeah. Considering that it's been run over a hundred years now and how many deaths have happened in that race oh. and the practices. I mean, geez, there's so many deaths at Indianapolis. Isn't there a cemetery? Like, wasn't that built on a cemetery or something? I don't even know. I don't know about that. Maybe. I don't know. That might be a true story I just made up, too. I'm not sure. (laughs) But this is actually like a documented thing. It's just nobody really asked him exactly what he saw. But when you spook Earnhardt out enough where he gets off the racetrack as fast as you can. Yeah. The, the theory is, a lot of people think this too, that at night, Indianapolis Motor Speedway becomes home of all the fallen drivers. Ooh, I don't like so that. he saw something, Ooh. and it spooked him out enough to where he come on in. And he said, I'm done. Let's go. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, like, I'm sitting in my spare bedroom, you know, doing this podcast, and I have all the lights out, and I am so spooked right now. <laughs> I do not like that. But you know what? That would be a really good question to tweet uh, the hashtag Ask Junior to at Xfinity Racing. Hopefully that well, might he, be. I don't think he would know. Well, I mean, I doubt, I doubt Dale ever said anything about that. Yeah, I mean, probably not. But at the same time, like, hey, I mean, we don't know unless we ask, right? <laughs> um, Let's see. Let's get into the curse of the 28. Okay. So. This isn't really a ghost story, and I'm going to try to make it not as depressing. But when I was a kid, all the way up until the year 2000, 
probably from like 92 to 2000. Mm. It was conceived by perceived. I'm sorry. It was perceived by everybody pretty much that the 28 car was cursed. The number 28, the Robert Yates 28 car was cursed. And anybody who drove it at that point, you know, fell into the curse. Yeah. So starting off 87, that's when Davey Allison jumped in the car. That's pretty much the birth of Robert Yates racing with the 28. Right. 1987. Did amazing. I mean, outstanding for a rookie. He sat on the outside pole at Daytona and the pole the next week at Rockingham. First two races of the year, no sponsor. Got a sponsor later on in the year, won two races. Right off the bat in 1987 at Talladega, they're going 212 miles an hour at this race. Wow. The 28th's father, Bobby Allison, changed NASCAR history. Blew a right rear tire on the front straightaway at Talladega. Car spun out. Lifted right off the ground into the catch fence. Almost took out the flag stand. Almost went through and into the grandstands. It did not happen. From that point on, NASCAR put the restrictor plates on the cars and it slowed them down. Now they're running about 188, 189. And they will never get over that 200 mile an hour threshold on a super speedway ever again. Yeah. Because of that wreck. If that wreck had went differently, NASCAR might not even be a thing right now. Well, I mean, I think they still like the current drivers. They get they definitely get up over two hundred miles an hour, not by themselves. No, no, yeah, yeah, you're right. Not if by if they do, it's I don't even know if they do that in the draft anymore. I think it's closer to one ninety three, one ninety four in the draft right now. Like in the two in two thousand or so, they were getting two hundred. Well, even just a couple weeks ago at Michigan, I was uh, watching uh, an onboard they were doing during the cup race, and it said like the it was like two oh four going into well, turn one or something. That's Michigan, though. Yeah, that's true. I'm talking about the super speedways, okay. Daytona and Talladega, because Michigan you do have to slow down. You can't make that entire lap at two oh four, two oh five. You know, at Talladega and Daytona. You can make that whole lap at 209 and 212. We've seen it done. Bill Elliott holds the records for both of those tracks, and they will never be broke because NASCAR won't allow it. Anyway, moving on from that, so that's the father of the 28. Mm -hmm. The following year, the father of the 28 also has another issue. At Pocono, he has a career-ending crash where he couldn't even... He couldn't even remember just a few months prior to this crash where he won the Daytona 500 with the 28 car coming in second. That was that severe that he couldn't, he didn't even know who he was for months. Yeah. Fast forward a few more years and the big thing happens in 1992. 1992, famous championship battle between Davey Allison, Bill Elliott, and Alan Kowicki. Those were the major players in that championship battle. In reality, like six or seven people had a good shot at it, but those were the main ones. And Davey pretty much led it most of the year from winning the Daytona 500 right off the bat. He had one of those years where he would win and he would crash and right. he would win and he would crash. So once he got a good, comfortable lead, it would all go away the next week. And in the meantime, Bill Elliott would win. Alan Kowicki would win once in a while, and they would both kind of be more consistent. 
And then at Charlotte, as Larry Mack likes to say, he they figured out how to win and crash at the same time. Right. Yeah. And he wound up celebrating his all-star race win from the hospital where he got knocked out cold from hitting the front straightaway wall, driver's side first. Can't imagine that today he would be back the next week like he was. Oh, no, not a chance. Racing was so much different back then. Kyle This Petty. dude here. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that was that was Kyle Pay's worst moment. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And Daryl Walsh's worst moment is coming up in a minute. Hmm. Because a few months later, Daryl Waltrip turns Davey Allison, the 28 car, at Pocono, the same track his father had his career-ending crash, just about into the career of Davey Allison. I don't know why this flip doesn't get played as much as most of the other ones do. I guess it's because it's so old now. Mm -hmm. But go back and watch the 1992 Pocono Davey Allison wreck. It's insane that guy walked away from it. Oh, yeah, it is. I know exactly what I you're mean, talking about. I guess technically he didn't walk away from it. He was carried off to the hospital. But you know what I mean. He, Yeah. I think he he didn't. He broke a few things, but it wasn't nothing extremely serious. He actually was at Talladega the next week and ran a few laps, like 10 laps before a caution came out for rain. And he come in and swapped out with Bobby Hillen, of all people. Bobby Hillen's all over the place. He, I think he drove like four or five different cars and had a little die cast of them too. <laughs> like there was a 28 die cast in 1992 with Bobby Hill on it. There was a 42 Kyle Petty die cast with Bobby Hill and card on it because he would just jump in all these cars as people needed. You know, yeah. it's the funniest thing. A few months after that, maybe just weeks, a few weeks after that, Davey Allison's brother died. In a Bush Series crash. He was driving number 12, just like his, just like Davey's dad. But it it kind of all goes back to the 28, though, to me. Because it's not only just the 28, it seems like it's most everybody associated with the 28. Or with the driver of the 28, too. The Allisons had such a rough time right there. Between 88 and 92. Just awful. Awful time. And he wound up going on running in the spot that he needed to win a championship at the end of the at the end of the season in the last race. And Ernie Irvin wrecks in front of him and collects him. So it takes him out of the championship. Right. We're all thinking, oh, it's it's cool though. He had a good shot at it. He's gonna stay fast for a long time. He's only gonna get better. He'll win five or six of them. Who knows what this guy could do. The next year come around, and at Talladega, Davey Allison dies in a helicopter crash. Yep. At 30, 33 years old, 32 years old, maybe yeah. even 30 years old. It wasn't, wasn't much at all. And it wasn't, it wasn't old at all. I want to say it was 30 or 32, somewhere in there. Mm. Just cut so short. Just crazy. And on top of that, a few, a couple months before that, the reigning champion, Alan Kowicki, died in a plane crash. I know that isn't directly associated with the 28, but they were in that championship battle. Right. And it's just, you always connect Alan Kowicki and Davey Allison together. I don't know why that is necessarily, other than they both died in 
air air related accidents in the same year and they were both in that championship battle just the seven and 28 are always connected in my mind they'll always be linked right because of that so who takes over the 28 once Dave Allison dies do you know where I'll talk Dave Allison Dave Allison uh well, not right away. Oh, uh, like, and, like initially, I think the first race back, Robbie Gordon took it over and, uh, at Talladega. And that was that crazy race where one guy went flipping out of the track and Neil Bonnet made his return. He went to the catch fence and Robbie Gordon wound up spinning out all by himself because he clipped the apron because he thought he was driving an Indy car. Because you can do that crap on in an Indy car, but you can't do that crap. <laughs> you can't do it in a stock car at Talladega. Right. So he wrecked, but Ernie Irvin was the guy that took over the guy that wrecked in front of Davey mm. and cost him the championship. He's the guy that took over late 93. See, I thought it was Dale Jarrett. That was that's coming guess, up, but that's coming up. So Ernie Irvin's the man now all the way through August of 94, winning a bunch of races Looks like he's going to be a shoe-in for this championship in 94. I mean, he's there. Absolutely there. He's made it. Right. Michigan rolls around, and Ernie gets on the radio in a practice session and says, I think I want to do one more lap. And Larry Mack's like, okay, one more lap and bring it on in. He never made it back. That 28 blew a tire, crashed, and I think Ernie Irvin was given less than a 10% chance to live with this crash. If you ever get a chance to go on YouTube, there are documentaries, uh, recent ones too, where Ernie Irvin talks about his career. And this is an amazing story, what Ernie Irvin went through to get back to racing. Because he wasn't even going to live and all the rehab he had to do to get back to it. Right. So what's interesting about this is not only is that the 28, but it's also Michigan and Michigan had come up later for Ernie Irvin. Once Ernie Irvin gets out of the car, Dale Jarrett takes over and Dale Jarrett does great. And Dale Jarrett's one of the few people that were able to skip this curse. Right. It just did not touch him. I don't know why it didn't, but he was able to go on past it. I know why. Why's that? Because it's Dale freaking Jarrett. <laughs> a freaking legend. Well, he also got out of the 28 pretty quick, though. Very quick, actually. He only had 31 starts in the number 28. Mm -hmm. He had basically a year before Ernie Irvin got back. Right. And when Ernie Irvin came back, he started driving the 88, a second team for Roush. Uh, two Haviland cars out there. And the following year in 1996, Dale Jarrett moved over to the 88 with quality care. And he wound up winning the Daytona 500 that year. First yeah. time with that team. And Ernie Irving would jump back in the 28 and he won. He won in the 28 some more. He even won at Michigan. He won at the track that almost killed him. Yeah. At one point. Amazing story. I mean, Dude's crying in victory lane for winning at this place. Just an amazing story. For sure. 
Eventually, he gets out of the 28. He moves on to the 36 car, where I don't know the exact year, but I want to say it's 2000. He has a, might be 99. He has a severe crash at Michigan again. And I think this might have actually been in the race that this happened at. I could be wrong about that. It could be practice again. But he had, he had another severe crash at Michigan that hospitalized him. And at that point, he said, that's it. Called it a career. So two near fatal accidents for Ernie Irvin driving the 28 car and later the 36, but part of the curse of the 28. Who was next to drive the 28? After after Ernie, Dale Jarrett. After Dale Jarrett. Oh, it, uh, Dale, Dale Jr.? The 28. Oh, the tw- I'm sorry. The 28. Okay. <laughs> sorry. 28. Um, I thought he meant 88 for a minute. I don't know why. Uh, 28. He's part of the curse. He's the last part of the curse before the curse was lifted. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Kenny Irwin uh, Jr. Nah, okay. I wasn't going to get there. So. <laughs> He drove the Texco Haviland 28 car, I believe starting in 1998 mm-hmm. is when he drove it. And I think he drove it for two years. That's typically what they do. If they're not winning, they don't usually go one and out. I think it was two years. And then in 2000, he didn't really do anything in the 28. He just drove the car. In 2000, he was driving the oh, 42 Yes. I believe it was his number in 2000, the Bell South car. Mm. And we all know that story. Pretty sure we all know that story because it also happened with another driver at the same track earlier in the year. Kenny Irwin throttle hung going into turn three at New Hampshire, hit the wall wide open, banked up the wall, slid on the driver's side window net, all the way down the track, he was killed with massive head trauma. Yeah. Adding on to this curse, it seemed like when I was a kid, everybody, with the exception of Dale Jarrett, that drove, and it seemed like everybody associated with the people, too, that drove with that 28, mm-hmm. they either died or they had a near career-ending, almost fatal injury. It's one of the wildest times for any particular number. And like I said, it was everywhere when I was a kid. Everybody was talking. They they weren't talking about it on TV. You you don't talk about that kind of stuff on TV. Right. But everybody I knew, my grandmother especially, believed it. The 28 car was cursed. And she was ready for that number to just go away. (sighs) She thought it should have went away when Davey Allison died, honestly. Yeah. What do you think about the 28 car being cursed for almost 10 years? I don't know. I mean, I don't really. I think it's just bad luck, honestly. I don't, I'm not a big guy on curses and, you know, whatever superstitions and stuff like that. So I, I mean, I think 28 just is a, is a race car number that just sucks. Has bad luck, you know, not so much sucks, but you know, it just has really bad luck. So, you do think it's the 28. If the 28 has bad luck, you think it's the 28. 
I mean, that's what you just said. Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it'd just be, I don't know if I would use the word cursed, you know, because like something, I don't know. It's, it's it hard. It seemed like for a while that nobody drove that car. Nobody that drove that car had could catch a break. Very true. It, yeah. I mean, because you had some top talent in that car. I mean, even Kenny Irwin Jr., he was supposed to be the next big thing. Mm -hmm. When he came in, he had all the hype behind him. Right. Yeah. Every bit of it. And it just didn't work at all with him. And it's and that was the first driver, I think, to jump in that 28 that it didn't work. Right. Because it was Davey, other than like the one-offs. I think somebody drove it at Watkins Glen one year, and then somebody drove uh, Robbie Gordon drove it at Talladega once. Bef until Ernie Irvin got in it. I think once like Davey got in it, Ernie got in it, Dale Jarrett got in it, Ricky Rudd got in it. He did pretty good in it too. He, he won some races at the end of his career with it. But for some reason, Kenny Irwin just didn't work. He's the only one really. Right. It's wild. And I wonder if you can really go back in any particular time in history and put that logic to that number. And see how it works out. Maybe. I don't have logic, but I do have statistics if you want to hear. Let's go. Let's let's lighten up the mood a little bit. Give me yeah. some statistics of 28. Yeah. Episode 28 of In the Marbles with Soda and Ethan is Can all... I guess the most wins? Yeah. Unless it's obvious. Uh, I don't know if it's obvious. Okay. So if it's not if it's not Davy. Can I guess Fred Lorenzen? Yeah, that's exactly who it is. How about that? Fred has 125 races, but he won 25. He was a, he was a Yankee. Yeah, he won 25 races. Uh, the most of any driver that ever drove the number eight, uh, 28. Uh, but the 28 in NASCAR has had 1,037 races, 91 poles, 299 top fives, 438 top 10s, 678 top 20s, and 76 wins. It's a very, very good number. Yeah, I think that's the highest uh, win number I've seen since we started doing these statistics. Yeah, we didn't do 11. I think 11 is the most winningest one in NASCAR history. We didn't do 11. No, we didn't. But yeah, we didn't start this until 23. I, I, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think, I think we started at 23. Um, yeah, I said Fred Lorenzen was a Yankee. That was, that was like the big thing with him because it was all just a bunch of Southern boys mm. back then in the 60s. Everybody was down from the South, but he was not. I forget exactly where he was from, but he was absolutely not a Southern guy. And he come in kind of like an outsider. And start winning a lot of races. Yeah. And I I remember having a diecast of them. It's crazy that sounds. That white white Ford with the blue 28 on the side of it. Yep. I remember. Because I had never known a 28 before Davey. You know? Yeah. So getting back to the Halloween theme just a little bit. We are going to look at, talk about anyway, some Halloween paint jobs. Mm-hmm. What is the very first Halloween paint job you can remember? Uh, the first one, 
obviously I'm I'm super biased when it comes to Kyle Bush and, and his awesome imminent or you know Halloween uh paint schemes. But the first one, maybe not so much the first one, but my favorite Halloween paint scheme is back when Tony Stewart drove the number 20 for Jugglers Racing when they were still racing Pontiacs. There was a I believe there's two. I don't know if he raced them back back weekends or one was the next season or not, but he drove a all black Home Depot Charlie Brown. I remember that one. I believe he raced it at Bristol. And I to this day love, love, love that paint scheme. To me, my very first the very first Halloween scheme I remember, period, just ever. Cal Petty drove it. Mm. He drove it in the Silver Bullet. Remember the, I guess it was 95, 94, 95 when he came, when he started driving that car for Felix Sabatis. He was already with Felix, but he, he changed his uh, sponsor to Coors Light. Mm. I believe it was 95 when this happened. He drove a black and orange car with the exact same paint job. It's just instead of silver and pink or blue and pink or whatever it was at the time, it was black with orange lightning bolts on it. Yeah. And it had a big, gaudy-looking jack-o'-lantern pumpkin on the hood. That's it. Like, there was no real reason for him to do that. I had never seen anybody do that before. Yeah, before '95, I think he would. I don't think anybody drove a special scheme just for a holiday. I don't. I don't know. I want to say that there was, but I cannot think of anything. Yeah, who? before that, you, you gotta you gotta come up with an answer. As also, I don't. also in '95, 1995, I was a year old. So <laughs> <laughs> just to just to throw that out there. Well, like none of the big guys ever did that. And usually mm-hmm. they just they just ran their sponsor stuff because back then they just ran one car all year long. Right. I, Rusty never won, ran anything special. The only special thing he had, he had a nickname on a race car. Like his favorite race car was called Midnight. Right. Where he won a ton of races. I, I mean, that's, that's what they did back then. They had names for their cars. They didn't run special paint schemes for anything. And 95, all of a sudden, Dale Earnhardt's running the silver scheme at the All-Star race. And now people are thinking, well, maybe we can run one-off schemes. Let's let's talk about this. Let's look at this. And Cal Petty might be the second person to ever do that. Mm -hmm. Other than, like, for an actual reason, like, (sighs) Richard Petty, a long time, this is really in the weeds here, Richard Petty a long time ago, on a really, really hot Daytona day in July, he ran a white roof on his blue 43 to keep some of the heat out of the car. So it would reflect the sunlight, you know, a little lighter color, make the inside of the car cooler. Other than that kind of a thing where you run something that's really practical, Right. In a way, and not like a special paint scheme. I don't really remember anything. Like, I think Earnhardt had a Wrangler car in 1984 that looked way different than any other Wrangler car, but I don't know if he ran that all year or if he ran that just the Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But you've probably seen that that Wrangler car before. It's got this weird block number three on it, 
and uh, it doesn't look like the same. It doesn't look like the same Wrangler at all. Yeah, I it's know. like a completely different style of car. Yeah, I know exactly what paint scheme you're talking about, and I do not like that font. I don't either. It's an ugly car. It's a very ugly car. <laughs> but he just never ran it. He only, I think, he only ran it for the Daytona 500. And if that is, then that's probably the first one-off paint scheme. But I could be wrong about that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly when he ran that. Maybe he ran it several times that year. Maybe he ran it all year in '84. I have no idea. Right. But as far as holidays go, I really think Cal Petty's the first one to ever do it. That's wild. Your driver has a lot of Halloween schemes. Yeah. Because he's a candy man. Well, right now. Two more weeks. <laughs> yeah. He's going to have a Halloween scheme this week. Yes, he is. Have you seen Kevin Harvick's Halloween scheme? I have. The boosh. You know, that's corny as all get out. Oh, man. But the scheme is actually pretty sick. I kind of like the whole boosh. Just really? because <laughs> I, I don't know how you... I, I don't know why I feel like you have to pronounce it <laughs> that <laughs> way. <laughs> it's, you know, the boosh. <laughs> I'm so excited that we just found out what we're going to name this episode. <laughs> the boosh. <laughs> no, I absolutely love that painting scheme. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the boosh, too. So, um, yeah. Um Kyle Bush, man. Speaking of paint schemes, really fast. Not not the Halloween paint scheme, but did you hear about what what M and M's did uh, for Kyle Bush's paint scheme? At yeah, the, la- the last race, right? Yeah, yeah, I why, did. Why? Why wasn't I notified at all about any of this? Because I did not see any of it until after they announced, like everybody who made the cut. So for anybody that doesn't know, what Mars did. Uh, Mars being M&M's, what they did is they they had people send in selfies and they're going to create a paint scheme out of selfies. Like the different colors and, you know, is going to make a M&M's paint scheme. And like they had to have like a ton of selfies. I did not hear about this and I didn't, I totally missed out on it. Like, it sounds like everybody, pretty much anybody got in. And I'm like, man, you know how unreal that would have been if my face was on that race car? Yeah. That would have been a die cast, baby. Best believe that. I, yeah, I had no idea that it was getting done either. Um, I can't imagine they'll make that die cast. I know they're not. M&M's won't let them. M&M's, uh, Lionel Racing kind of kind of mentioned it a little bit uh m&ms will not be featured on any more hats t-shirts um die casts for the rest of their nascar tenure and that was back i think before the playoff started well lionel racing is so <sighs> awesome well not when it comes to who they make and what they make well i mean they don't have any sort of you know they can't control that uh, they they could a little bit. Racing uh, champions made everybody. Well, I, okay, so like that's that's what the main consistency is when I see things on on Twitter and stuff. And make this driver, make this driver. So like the Monster Energy, like Monster Energy well, says we are not going to be on diecast cars. Lionel Racing cannot make diecast cars or hats or anything. Yeah, 
Monster Energy is is stupid because they can be on adult cars. They can be on the, the elite. When I was a kid, you had the ones that went to Walmart that did not have any beer sponsors or anything not they didn't want children associated with. Right. And then you had the ones that you bought from the catalogs or online nowadays. Right. Those are the ones that are more expensive, more detailed, and it's got it written on there, 21 and up. You have to purchase. You have to be 21 and up to purchase it. I know because a lady at Talladega would not sell me a Rusty Wallace die cast when I was 12 years old. I had to get my grandfather to go buy it for me. They stuck to that. Good for them. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not going to go drink a Miller Genuine Draft just because it's on my car. Right. I don't like it. I just want the car because I like Rusty Wallace. Anyway. No, I mean, you and I are on the I don't same. Know why they, I don't know why they couldn't do that. Just do, just do the adult stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't know. I feel like Lionel Racing doesn't. It's not as aggressive as it could be to get these certain sponsors because it's not just Monster Energy. There's a lot of sponsors that they just straight up will not put on diecast, and it's going to be like a licensing agreement. I understand that, but. Like I said, other companies made everybody. Right. But you I, literally I, had an entire roster. Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, I'm on the same page. I, I want to see Monster Energy diecast cars. But I mean, if I'm, you know, if I'm the president of Lionel Racing and I say, okay, we're going to go after, you know, the uh, Ty Gibbs race version or Kurt Busch race version, whatever the case may be. And Monster Energy says, no, you do not have my permission. You don't have our permission to make any sort of merchandise with our logo guess what pal you're not making any sort of merchandise with that logo and m&ms is just kind of doing the same thing you know so unfortunately i don't know why monster energy decides to uh they don't want to be on diecast cars but i feel like just the diecast cars alone they would make a killing obviously m&ms is always a big seller for lionel racing so i don't think it's lionel racing's fault i think it's just one of those things that their their hands are tied Monster Energy specifically, they don't want to be on toys. They don't want That's to be on this. No, they don't want to be on hats or, or t-shirts or anything. No, I've seen Monster Energy hat. Like, like I follow the Monster Jam stuff too. Right. They have a Monster Energy truck out there. They will sell Monster Energy flags, Monster Energy hats, but they will not sell the trucks. They right. just, they won't sell. I mean, I don't, whether it comes to well, NASCAR might be a different deal. But Monster Energy, the company, is they just don't want anything associated with something that could fall into the hands of children. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it's just an it's just a drink. It's not but whatever. I know, but like Monster Energy has not like there's not been a Monster Energy logo on any sort of merchandise of NASCARs since two thousand I think twenty two thousand twenty or two thousand twenty one. Even though Well that like, that might be because they, they lost the title sponsor. Right, so well, that, may, well, that might be a different. There's still a different issue. There's still a sponsor of NASCAR. Like I get, it, it's not the NASCAR, the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series. I understand that, but it's still like one of the primary sponsors, right? There's five. Yeah, I mean they're a big part of it, but I don't know. I, maybe they. I don't know. I don't know what their deal is, but yeah. it isn't specifically Monster Energy I'm talking about, though. If you go look at the list of cars 
on you know you see these tweets from some uh maybe not Lionel Racing itself, but from like diecast uh distributors when they list the number of cars, they usually have like eight of them listed from this past weekend or maybe two weeks ago or something like that. They'll say this car, no plans, this car, no plans, this car, right. maybe. This car, yes. This car, no right. plans. It usually yes. is about six or seven no plans, one maybe and one yes. That is infuriating. Well, yeah, for sure. But I mean, I, I, I don't can, remember racing. Racing champions never had this issue. Well, I can guarantee you, it's not Lionel Racing. You know, if I mean, if Lionel Racing can make diecast cars of every single race car on that racetrack, they're going to because that's that's literally how they feed their family. It has to be sponsors. I don't think it has anything to do with vinyl racing. I think part of it is they don't think it'll sell. Well, I mean, be yeah. Because, you know, the most popular drivers right now are the ones that get pretty much every single car of theirs made. Right. Right. Like, it doesn't matter what they do. If they get a paint job, a new paint job, it's going to get made into a die cast. Right. And it'll be up for pre-order the next day. Maybe even before then. Yeah. So most of the time, like Lionel Racing will, uh, like, let's say, I don't know, let's say Joey Logano just won the Cup Series race at Las Vegas. I mean, within hours, sometimes within minutes, Lionel Racing already opens that pre order. So what that means is, like, us fans, we have the opportunity to go out there and kind of, as Scott Toon would say, put our money where our mouth is and we want to pre-order it. So the pre-orders have like a certain amount of pre-orders to get before it can go into production. Obviously, they're not going to sit there and make 10,000 diecast cars if only 200 sold. You know what I mean? like So, I mean, I understand sometimes that, you know, they'll offer whatever they possibly can and then if it doesn't hit that quota, then they have to cancel it. A lot of this information you could hear on the Lionel Racing podcast called uh, Authenticated. I actually was just listening to it before we started recording today. I just, I miss being able to go to the store and seeing literally everybody that's on the racetrack right there in the pegs. Yeah. I, I miss that, man. I do too. When you look at the back of the package and there's 50 or 60 cars that you could get all from that season and it didn't take a year for it to come out. I miss that stuff, man. Yeah, but I mean, distribution problems, my goodness. I'm saying production problems. I don't, don't, don't beat around the bush with that. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't think so, but I know you love Lionel racing. I'm not I trying do. to dog them completely. I'm not because they do make some really good stuff. I have some of their stuff here. It just, it's not the way it was when I was a kid. And I think that if it was the way it was when I was a kid, a lot more kids would be into it than they are right now. You know what I mean? Like if yeah. you go to the store and you see 15 or 20 drivers every other month, you know, on the pegs right. from, from what you're watching on TV now and not seven, eight months ago, it would, I think more kids would be into it because I, I was into it that way. My brother was, everybody I knew was, you know, that's just, that's how it was. The following announcement has been paid for by the Pulling Up a Chair podcast. Tim here, host of the Pulling Up a Chair with a Chair Shop podcast. 
If you're a fan of wrestling figures and the artists that take them to the next level, then I've got a favor to ask of you. Come check out my podcast, Pulling Up a Chair. Each episode, I sit down and talk to figure customizers, figure photographers, set builders, figure collectors, podcasters, and even pro wrestlers. Just search out Pulling Up a Chair with a Chair Shot wherever you get your podcasts, and I hope you'll join me next time right here on Pulling Up a Chair. So we have three questions this week, all from Tales from the Estate. Came from last week, but we recorded before these came out. First off, Caitlin asked, who is your favorite driver's wife? Ooh, okay. Uh, hmm, that's a, that's a really good question. I'm not really sure. Well, I have an active and a retired. All right, let's hear yours. Retired is Jeff Burton's wife. I think her name's Kim Burton. Because she was always on that pit box crying her eyes out whenever Jeff was about to win a race. They would show her in the last like five, six, seven laps to go. They would start showing her instead of Jeff Burton on the racetrack. Oh, yeah. They would do that every single time he was about to win a race. And I was just, it was fun. It was I mean, fun to watch her cry. But, I mean, it was fun to, to see her excitement and her emotions every single time. Like it never got old. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's like she was that happy for Jeff every single time. And uh, currently, I don't think she does this too much anymore. But I know for a fact that she used to do this a lot with Shell. Whenever Kevin Harvick had Shell. Oh. But Delana Harvick. Yeah. Because my wife loves it because she's like, I would so be her. I'd be on pit road with my own fire suit. Yeah. I mean, why not? <laughs> right. <laughs> she had a fire suit every single week standing right there beside, beside Kevin on pit road. It's just awesome. Just cool for her because she was the only one that did that. Every other, every other wife out there just, you had her dress on and, you know, dolled up, but not her. She's like, Nope. I am in my fire suit. I'm ready to work. <laughs> Absolutely. For sure. I think that- if, if I feel like if I had to choose one, obviously I'm being completely biased when I say Samantha Bush, I mm-hmm. think she's probably the most active on social media uh, when it comes to like NASCAR wives. Um, but if I had to pick, Oh, I just had one. Oh, you know, honestly, I started, I'm all binged up on the um, Austin Dillon life in the fast lane mm-hmm. on uh, usa network um currently hopefully i i i'm actually okay with seeing a, a season two if that's a thing but whitney dylan which is austin dylan's wife austin dylan obviously the one that's driving the number three right now currently um i'm a, she i don't know it took a minute but like i was okay with it um she's goofy you know and i don't know how much that's you know stage for the tv show and i don't know if i like her because i don't i don't necessarily think that she's trying to look like an idiot on tv and i'm not i mean she's louise i'm not trying to call anyone an idiot but she has the same thought process as i do because i was i was watching that season and i was thinking 
you know, half the things that she said or half the things that she asked that, you know, the other characters would make fun of her for, I didn't know either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I don't know if, if Whitney, Dylan, and I, you know, have the same mentality or the same train <laughs> of thought, but I think I'm going to have to go with Whitney, Dylan. Uh, let's see. Next from Drew. Who would be one celebrity you'd like to see get into NASCAR or purchase a team? Ooh. Oh, I, I have no idea where I'm going with this. Oh, geez. One celebrity. Um, I guess uh, let's, let's think about some of the owners that have come into the sport that were like big somewhere else. Like the, probably the most successful one would be Joe Gibbs. Okay. Yeah. Right. So he's a football coach, you know, Super Bowl winning football coach. And he comes in and he's now championship winning owner. Yeah. Right. And he's established in the sport. He's like, he's like a Hendrick in the sport. Now he's, he's there. He's been there for, for since 92. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's probably like the biggest, most successful one. Um, anybody else you can think of off the top of your head? First like, thing I think of is AJ Styles. And, and know, I know that would be, that would be interesting, but maybe more like Shawn Michaels because Shawn Michaels is like an actual NASCAR fan. I remember the one and only time Shawn Michaels ever responded to me on Twitter was I asked him something about Daytona 500 and he, he gave me his pick to win. Um, that was on like five Twitter accounts ago, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would say Shawn Michaels would be my number one, but someone like off the wall that you would never expect. I want to say Eminem. Hmm. Let's go. Right. Like that would be pretty crazy. I don't think he would be very hands-on and he sure certainly wouldn't want to go to a, a NASCAR race unless it's, you know, Michigan or something. But, um, no, I think, I think Eminem would be like my wild card. That would be like, Whoa, what on earth? But, uh, I think Shawn Michaels would be my number one. You know, it's funny. You, you, you get a lot of people from the, uh, I say a lot, but you have gotten people from the entertainment, industry like you've gotten football players and football coaches owning teams like Dan Marino had a stake in a team once I think Troy Aikman did too uh you get people like that and you also get uh entertainment people like entertainers from certain genres of music and Hmm. you don't really see the one that you would figure would be most prominent Mm mm-hmm has there ever been a country singer on an NASCAR team? Okay, so I was just about to say that. So I just thought about that. Um, I feel like if there, w- I think the next celebrity that we're going to see dip his toes in NASCAR in some way is going to be Blake Shelton. I th- see Blake Shelton was who I was thinking. Yeah, for sure. If anybody from the current scene in country would do it, I think it'd be Blake Shelton. I I think it'd be interesting if a female you know uh like maybe like a carrie underwood or a miranda lambert someone like that like i I would be really interested in in seeing something like that i mean how many female car owners or team owners is in nascar Mm -hmm. none uh not anymore well jennifer joe cobb i think owns her team we kicked the wicked witch from the east out who danica 
who owns a team. Yeah. Teresa. Oh, Teresa. Duh. Golly. Teresa <laughs> I, Earnhardt. I thought you were talking about Danica Patrick. I was like, dude, she, I don't think she ever owned anything. Uh, yeah. Thank goodness she's out of here, right? <laughs> Golly. Um, I don't know why my mind is, is going to this, but, you know, last one for me. Uh, just because I think that the race car would be funny and the interviews after the fact would be hilarious. Probably has to be censored. Uh, Gordon Ramsay. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, I want to see a Hell's Kitchen race car. I, if if you're going to go Sh- Chef Ramsay, I'm going to go uh, <laughs> John Taffert. Do you, do you know who John I, Taffert is? I don't is? even know who John Taffert oh, is. Oh, my goodness. Who is that? Uh, Bar Rescue? Oh, no, I don't watch that. Oh, my gosh. Why I know the you? show, but I don't watch it. You know, um, I think Breaker and Bane were talking crap about that show a couple weeks ago, and I took real big offense to it because I didn't even think about You know how it's funny how like people are like, you know, it's fake, right? Um, with wrestling, I didn't even think about it. Like, I don't know why every time I watch Bar Rescue, I never thought of it as fake or or staged or any of that. I just thought he was like off the wall, you know, just ready to just rip into someone, you know, and that's why I watched it. Anyways, that's a totally different tangent for a different day. Yeah, it's it's like Kitchen Nightmares. Oh, it's yeah. kind of the same thing uh, from what I understand. Chef Ramsay only acts the way he does in front of the camera. Yeah. He doesn't act that way if the camera's not rolling. But at the same time, it is a real person they're helping real people. They're helping with a real restaurant. Right. And you know, all that's happening, but yeah, some things are kind of played up. Sure. You know, you got to make it interesting, right? For sure. Just like debris cautions. Oh God. Okay. I'm not going to get to that. (laughs) Uh, Jacques debris. (laughs) 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 Caution out for Jacques debris again. Jacques debris. Um, I think we have answered this before. I don't know if it came from Drew. I think we just talked about it one day. Mm -hmm. But what is the weirdest or most random piece of NASCAR merchandise you have? Okay. Um, So it's not like it's not weird, uh, but I actually have the tire off of the 2021 raced winning Kyle Busch car. Yeah, it's not weird. I used to have a tire. I don't know what car it came off of, but I used to have a Goodyear Eagle. So this tire was one on the day of Kyle Busch's birthday. I was there in person. I have the race one winning diecast car, and I matched up the tires. Uh, And it's perfect, spot on. So love that. Um, But not so much NASCAR. The, (laughs) the (laughs) The weirdest racing memorabilia i have i guess is one of my good friends actually a listener of the show kenton allen um he races locally and i went to i think it was sometime last season i went and watched him race here locally at humble speedway and i watched him during the a main you know he was struggling it looked like um for most of the race but somebody um cut him off like in the middle like you know slid up kind of cleared himself type of situation and if i'm not mistaken i watched a piece of metal come off of um the front end of 
Kitten's race car. And it sat on the racetrack in turn three and nobody called it. And uh, Kitten Allen's uh, chassis is all blue. And I think that night he was the only blue car out there. I think the leader was also blue, but he was never in traffic. So I knew it was his car. So after the race, I actually walked down on the racetrack and I grabbed it. And I still, to this day, have it in my bedroom. It's my, <laughs> it's the only thing that if somebody broke into my house, it's the only thing I have because <laughs> I'm, I don't have firearms. I don't have pocket knives. Um, but I have a piece of metal from a race car and I don't, I've never told that story to Kenton. So if he listens or Dylan, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that they're probably gonna probably want it back maybe, <laughs> but don't come looking for it. <laughs> you, uh, went to dirt track races when you were a kid, right? Absolutely. Did you used to run up on the fence and get the tear offs? Um, no, cause I was never allowed. Uh, oh. I, yeah, my, <sighs> my parents were a little bit more stifflers on that. You know, we, every time we had to go out in public, we had to kind of act a certain way. Um, you know, we couldn't be wild, wild child, you know, over there, we had to sit there next to our parents and we couldn't get up without letting them know, you know, it was, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, but I do have tear offs and, and I see kids doing that all the time. Yeah. I used to do that all the time when I was a kid. And yeah. you, you, you pick them up and you put them to your face and you say, wow, they were looking out of this. Yeah. I mean, you can't even see through it. Right. You know, when they finally decide to rip it off. I don't think I was, I don't think I've made mine last as long when I was racing. Because mm. I can't remember other than like maybe just going through a corner. It's it's the wildest thing. Other than like maybe going through a corner on a really, uh, 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 not really muddy track, but kind of like that in between. Like it's just like the, maybe the start of the heat race yeah, or maybe the end of hot laps where the track is kind of tore up a little bit. It's not really packed in. You get behind somebody at just the right angle and there's no windshield in a dirt car. Nope. They kick that mud up and it hits your head. Like, I, I don't mm. even, I don't know how to describe it. It, it like throws your head back when he's like dun, 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 right on your face. <laughs> yeah. So actually this past weekend, um, <clears throat> we had the world of outlaw late models at my home track of Humboldt's Speedway. I got there a little bit later than what I would, what I was hoping there was no seating there unless you were like wanting to set like super close, which you never want to at a, at a local dirt track because it's going to be hard to kind of see turn one and all that stuff. So I try to set as high as you can. Unfortunately, all those spots were taken when I got there. So I had to kind of just resort to setting a little bit lower than what I'm used to. And I was kind of setting over there uh, in the entrance of turn four. Mm. And whoo, yeah. my goodness, I got pelted so many times and it hurt. Mm -hmm. so bad but um i had dirt actually in my ear for like three days afterwards and that's me <laughs> scrubbing it you know in the shower and stuff and and jessica was still picking freaking dirt out of my ears you know and it's like that's that's a good night at the races well it's it's, it's funny when you uh when you're actually racing you're covered from head to toe Right. Yeah. Like you got your gloves, you got your fire suit, you got your helmet, you got everything. You're covered completely head to toe. You come home and you shower, the bottom of the shower is orange. 
Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know how all this is getting inside of everything here, but it's just, you know, inside my suit, everything. It's it's the crazy stuff. And if you don't like dirt or if like, you don't have to like it, but if you can't tolerate being uh, not perfectly clean. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to go to one of these dirt track races. No. But if you can get over that, it's some of the most fun you'll have. Uh, random racing memorabilia or merchant or merch, but on a personal note, I have, I still have the Hulk Hogan LJN that I raced with in, uh, on the roll bar of my race car when I won a lot. Yeah. So I still have that. Uh, that's not really old. I guess it's 07. I mean, the LJN's old, but I raced it in 07. So not that old yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe the most random thing I have is that most random coolest thing I have is that Bill Elliott's NASCAR challenge Nintendo game that I got signed a, a couple months ago. Oh yeah. At that's the probably, S-R-S. yeah, that's probably the most random thing I have. I have had some random stuff. I don't have any more like the trophy cookie jar and the mm-hmm. tire changing salt and pepper shakers and, um, the NASCAR plate set, all that came together. Yeah. I've had some really random weird stuff, but so, so let me ask this. This is like the number one, <laughs> like the biggest no, no you could, you could ask someone in racing. And since we're both kind of somewhat in racing, you know, I'm not a driver, but I'm a crew chief. You, you know, you a were winning a driver, crew chief, right? Yes. Yes, actually. Um, yeah, I'll tell that story here in a minute. Let me ask. So you said that you were winning a lot. How cheated up were you? I was not. You weren't cheated up? No. Damn. Not okay. that I'm aware of. I bought the car off somebody else. Mm-hmm. A lot of people thought the car was. <laughs> yeah. I never cracked the engine. Really? Yeah, I never I never even changed the spark plugs in this car. Wow. Yeah, I just I never did it. The only thing I ever did was um to the actual because I race front wheel drive. Right. And it was really hard to get these cars to not push. Yeah. And when they push as bad as they do, they pop right front tires. That's what these cars do. The front wheel drive cars, they all blow right front tires. Yes. And I was having so much, so many issues blowing right front tires constantly. So the year I got this car, it was so fast, but it would push so hard through the corners. And I had this bright idea one day. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to disengage the brake on the right front tire. Mm-hmm. So when I go down to the corner, oh, stab oh. the brake. Yeah. Like I don't need to brake at this track like this, but right. I stab the brake and it, it spins the car yeah to the left because the right front's not pulling but the left is interesting so it did that and halfway through the corner i'm pointed straight down off the banking so i'm wide open downhill off the corner so that's where i got all my runs was coming off the corner yeah that's about the extent if that's cheating that's about the extent of of it i got to no i wouldn't consider that well nobody else is doing it Right. And I actually had a friend of mine work on my right front once and he looked at us like, Oh, you know, like, yeah, don't, don't blab about that to a lot of people. I don't, I don't want everybody to know about that. (laughs) But, um, 
he said he tried it once and he couldn't do it. He was like, I didn't, I didn't like the way it felt. So I put it hmm. back up, put it back together. I was like, yeah, I, first day I did it, I won the race, but I about spun out three or four times. Right. For sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one, one point I was coming up on somebody, uh, who was real slow after a caution, hmm. like a caution had just come out and I was coming up on the, the person who was in the lead at that point and he just stopped. So I pressed the brakes and, Oh yeah. I went to the infield. Oh yeah, you did. You know, caught it to the right real quick. And I was right on the bottom of the racetrack. It's like, I hope nobody noticed that too hard, you know, but nobody ever said anything about it. But like the track rules said you had to have three working breaks, but I think the class rules were implying that you needed like everything stock. Oh, okay. You know? So I don't know if I, I, it was a gray area. Yeah, those are just mere suggestions, I would feel like. <laughs> you know, especially I, right I would point to the track rules if somebody would say something. It's like, look, three working breaks. I have three working breaks. Yeah. It's fine. Very true. But that's about that's about the extent of it. I really wasn't that cheated up because I it was a Toyota Celica. It was just a strong, fast car. Yeah, and by me saying that, I'm not at all saying that our car is cheated up at all but i know what we have under the hood and baby we are going to rock it oh. once once we get him uh once my driver gets a little bit more comfortable yeah everybody pushes it as much as i can oh for it's sure just, we weren't allowed we weren't supposed to be allowed i know some people that put like three or four grand in their engine yeah. and they still run right like crap right so and if they're listening to this they know exactly who i'm talking about i'm talking about you Buddy. I'm not going. I don't think they live. I don't think they follow me on Facebook anymore. <laughs> but yeah, I've known people that do that, and then I've known people that got their car literally out of a junkyard, had to blow the leaves out of the motor. Yeah, and they won races. Jeez Louise! So you know, I try not to spend too much money and time on these things. So just just go out there and have fun. And then 07 and 08, we had a lot of fun. We won a lot of races. There you go. So. You want to do a real quick story about your your win? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, fr so Friday was just a really up and down day for me. Um, it was six o'clock in the morning, and I found out one of my really close friends uh, was involved in a car accident, and he did not make it. Uh, he passed away Friday morning, and so it was kind of a somber start of the day, and uh, you know. I had to make a mad dash to Oklahoma city just to try to, you know, say goodbye to one of my closest friends. And I did not make it there in time. Mm. Uh, so I drove back home and just kind of took the day to feel sorry for myself and whatnot and, and be sad. And I got a call from a friend who said, Hey, you need to come out to the races because the world of outlaws are here. And I was like, ah, you know, it'd be really cool, but like, I'm just, I'm okay. You know, plus I had a uh, wedding rehearsal uh, for my my race car driver who I crew chief for. It was his wedding, so he was. You know, I had to. I was. I'm. I was the best man in that wedding, um, and so when I came home, uh, I had a friend that you know said that she would pay the entry fee for me to go and kind of have a, have a good time and stuff. So shout out to Mandy for making that happen. And once I got there, I got a call from a friend who's in, you know, involved with racing and says, Hey, are you, are you at the racetrack? And I said, yeah, I am. You know, sitting here, I got, I got here a little bit late. Um, he said, well, are you, you know, are you still 
crew chiefing. And I said, yeah, of course I am. You know, haven't really had my first debut race as a crew chief yet. Um, that will be coming up on Saturday, and I will get to that in a minute. Um, so he said, well, hey, if you're here at the racetrack, I have a buddy who is desperately needing a crew chief type of person. So I said, okay, if you pay my if you pay my pit pass, I will I'll come down and I'll help you or whoever it is. And um, <laughs> as much as I kills me, I'm not associated with this race team whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I honestly I <laughs> I can't even tell you the driver's name. <laughs> like that's how I literally did not know this person. So he was kind of telling me what he needed in the car. Uh, what I could, you know, try to figure out and stuff, and we try to make adjustments. Uh, now, real quick, that I've I've experienced that before. Yeah, as a driver, having people help you that you don't even know their names. Yeah, and it's it's a real thing that happens all oh, literally yeah. every single week. Um, so I was trying to throw some ideas, some you know, uh, just some some general knowledge i guess you know if you if you want to be a little bit looser in the corners how about we do this type of thing uh he started i think fifth on the pill draw of the heat race and we won the heat race we lined up uh p2 which is outside pole on the uh, a main and we ended up winning that race so i i'm not doing any sort of work with them there's I'm not at all associated with that race team. They wanted me to come out and celebrate with them, but I was like, I don't know you and I don't know who you, who you hang out with. So I'm going to take my celebrations home um, and we'll just, you know, leave it as that. So yeah, technically my first debut race as a crew chief and we end up winning the race. So very excited about that. We were supposed to now the race team that I'm associated with is mayor racing mayor racing is supposed to be debuting sunday at humboldt speedway that race got canceled earlier today so we are regrouping and going to a local dirt track with the name of caney valley if Hmm. uh, any of my kansas friends are listening uh caney valley saturday night we will be debuting i've never been to this racetrack um if i'm being honest with you i don't even know how to get there so i'm super excited about it uh very very excited about it i don't know it's going to be a lot (laughs) really challenging because i don't know i don't know the banking i don't know the speeds i don't know if it's a long track if it's a mile and you know i i don't think it's going to be a mile and a half but uh (laughs) golly that would be one tough race but um <laughs> typically everything around us is three eighths of a mile. Yeah, that's I don't know why I said half a mile or yeah. a mile and a half. <laughs> that's NASCAR talk. But yeah, I'm really excited about Caney Valley. Uh I, I'm really looking forward to it. I know what we have uh, equipment wise, but we're not gonna go out race, you know, we're not gonna try to win. I just want I don't want no damage on that car and I want to finish every lap. Um, right now, I mean, it's the last race of the season for every racetrack around here. So <laughs> I just want to, you know, for one, I just want my driver to go have fun and I'm going to have fun and we're going to try to start building a notebook on Caney Valley. So it's going to be interesting. Try to get there a little bit earlier, maybe try to take some laps and figure it out 
it's going to be interesting. And I cannot wait to tell you all about it on episode 29 of In the Marbles cool. with Soda Nathan. Cool deal. Yeah. So we're running really long. I'm going to skip over the uh, Homestead Miami talk because, honestly, Kyle Larson stunk that show up. Yeah, absolute dominance. Yeah, he. the only thing interesting about it was that he spun Truex out on pit road, but oh, Truex kind of did that to himself. I was going to say, like, there was a lot of people talking about on Twitter. There's absolutely – actually, one of our teammates um, – <laughs> messaged me on on Twitter uh, on Facebook and said that oh Kyle Larson is you know he needs to be parked and I'm like no there's nothing <laughs> Larson could have done True, about that Truex missed his if he didn't get spun out he was gonna have to go back around the racetrack because he right. straight up missed his stall and he just completely slammed on the brakes there was nothing <laughs> the five could have done but uh Chastain second straight second place finish that's excellent excellent for him he is so close. Yes, absolutely. So he's 19 points of the good. He's so close. Going into Martinsville, he needs to watch out for Hamlin because Hamlin is in this situation where he needs the points because he's yep. out right now. And if Hamlin cannot Chastain out and gain those points, I bet he will. Like, if you want the opportune time for him, if he's still holding any type of grudge whatsoever – this is the opportune time for Hamlin. So, oh, this is the opportunity. Yes, one hundred percent. So, if I was Chastain, I would either just stay the heck away from him or take him out before he takes me out. Yep. Uh, I will say one thing about Chastain, real quick, from Miami. Him and AJ Allmendinger, if they race like that for you know the next year or however long AJ is going to be in at sixteen, man, those two had a heck of a race at the end of that. At the end of it. Yeah. For second place. And they never touched each other. They were just so aggressive. And, you know, they probably both got out of those cars smiling from ear to ear. Because oh, when you sure. get to race like that with somebody, knowing that they're they're taking advantage of the situations on the track, but they're not taking advantage of you, so to speak. Like, they're not roughing you up into the wall, and they're not putting you in a situation that you shouldn't be in, or any mm -hmm. dangerous situation. You're just racing hard against somebody. I had... I had friends that I did that with all the time. I had two very, you know, two friends on a weekly basis that the three of us would get out there and we would swap the lead back and forth all the time. We'd race each other harder than anybody else, but cleaner than anybody else too. Yeah. And when you can do that, you're, it doesn't matter if you finish first or third, you had a blast, you know, and you couldn't look, you, you look forward and you couldn't wait until the next week to get out there and do it again. Absolutely. But I'm looking forward to that if uh, that keeps up. But this week is Martinsville. Yes. And a lot of people didn't like the race at Martinsville earlier this year. I didn't get to see the whole thing. So I'm not. No, I don't know if I'm in that boat or not, honestly. Um, do you remember much about the race at Martinsville? I earlier? cannot. I honestly cannot remember absolutely anything about it. Yeah, I I think a, the big thing is like this car. It made mile and a half really good, but it ruined short tracks and it ruined super speedways. You know, it's like whatever. Um, I kind of think as far as my pick goes for this week, yeah, I've you your your guy finished uh, dead, dead last, last. <laughs> dead last. I mean, 
dead last. You're Ugh. still ahead of me. I don't care. That that's what I get for picking a Ford. You have an eleven and a half average finish. Oh my god. My average finish is fourteen point two because Kevin Harvick finished eighth. Mm. Um, I am going to go with one of the winningest numbers oh, in Martinsville history. Oh no. I'm going to go with Eric Jones. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> the 43. I was so scared you were about to take my pick. Okay. Eric Jones <laughs> is not a bad pick at all because he has been really aggressive. Uh, mm -hmm. He was just recently on the Dale Jr. Download, and he opened up a lot about in that conversation. Uh, kind of got me a, a kind of a cool look at Eric Jones, and I'm, I'm a big fan of him, and I, I hope that he does get uh, something going at Martinsville. Well, he put the 43 back in victory lane at Darlington. Maybe he can put it back in victory lane in Martinsville. Why not? One Why of not? the original tracks on the very first season of NASCAR, Martinsville Speedway. Yep, absolutely. Unfortunately, he's not going to win because my pick is going to win. I'm really excited about that. To I mean, ugh, thanks to Ford, I have to you know try to dig my way out of this and hopefully hit a top 10. I have two very big heavy hitters for the next two weeks and i'm very excited about it um i'm gonna go with the 24 of william byron okay yeah that 24 is a uh, really good it's the whole team yeah they're really and, good there and he will be racing for an opportunity to punch his ticket to phoenix next week uh, and race for his first ever nascar cup series championship so with a lot of pressure on him i think he's going to do it and that takes Byron off your board. Who now? Just so I can sleep easy tonight. Um, who can you not pick? Who can I not pick? I cannot pick Logano, Hamlin, Cindric, Larson, Chastain, Kyle Busch, William Byron, Christopher Bell, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Michael McDowell, or Kevin Hart. Okay, perfect. Because my pick for Phoenix is one of those drivers. <laughs> and you are in trouble, pal. Uh, I have to really think about who I can pick for Phoenix. I don't know. But I'll worry about that next week. Yep. Especially if you know, you're going to pick one of my guys anyway, so I won't have to worry about it at all as far as that goes. Yep. But we're going to get on out of here. Uh, went a little long Halloween episode. I hope everybody enjoyed the uh, the ghoulish mess at the beginning of it hope i didn't bring everybody down with the curse of the 28 and death <laughs> it's been 22 years it's fine yeah yeah some <laughs> some of it 30 years almost like yeah not right 93 yeah. to 22 yeah it's been 29 years yep wow getting old uh, i want to run down the the podcast drafting partners real quick uh, fully Postable Wrestling Figure Podcast, Drunk Wrestling History, Doing the Favor, Positively Pro Wrestling Podcast, The Lap Traffic Podcast, Jason Wolf and his out is uh, not the Outsider Spear Company. That is not happening anymore. Yeah. Did you see that? I'll Unf talk about that in a minute. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Jason Wolf with his uh, podcast Howling with the Wolf and his uh, really cool chop chop. Gonna, I just ordered me something. The other day, too, from there. Nice. And uh, Big Underscore Bane, who does our entry music, he is taking a hiatus with Outsiders Beer Co. 
I hate it. I hope it doesn't stay away for long because I love his stuff. So, but uh, check out his music. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, on all the platforms, just search his name and you'll find all his uh, all his stuff. B a y n. Who you got? Yeah, absolutely. Talking about Bane, uh, I have Breaker and Bane's Power Hour with Brian Breaker and and Big Underscore Bane. You know it's fake, right? With Brian Baker, Brian Baker, Brian Baker, <laughs> Brian Breaker. Uh, TV Toycast with Travel. Tra- oh my gosh, we're not doing this anymore. Gosh dang it. Okay, uh, TV Toycast with Brian Breaker and Travis Fowler. No holds barred with the legendary our boss Bill Benis. Um, hey, we were on. Did you, did you hear this latest episode? No. They ran it. He 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 plugged us. No, he didn't. Yeah, he did. Awesome. Bill Venus is the absolute bee's knees, and he knows it. Um, no, so okay, so I got so involved in the story that is the Bill Venus podcast or No Holds Barred. It's, I went. It's fun. It's a lot of fun listening yeah. to that show. I went back and started listening from the episode, you know, episode one trailer all the way to, well, I got to like season two. What was it like season two, episode two or something like that? And I, I got I'm just kind of at a standstill right now because I have so many other podcasts. So I'm not trying to listen to the new episodes until I get fully caught up in all five seasons. So haven't listened to that one yet, but I am on my way to do it. Speaking of legends, of course we cannot forget tales from the estate with the legendary drew Vinsel and his wife, Caitlin, of course, the two boys uh, pulling up a chair with a chair shot. Our friend, Tim, happy uh, birthday. Happy birthday. Sound like Frosty, <laughs> Frosty the Snowman. Happy <laughs> birthday! Yeah, big, big love over there. Uh, Tim is a great dude. He's a great follow. Um, still hasn't announced the winner for his Hulk Hogan uh, giveaway, Ultimate Edition figure giveaway, right? Uh, not that I know of. Not that I know of. So there's st- that means that there's still more time to go listen to the uh, episode entitled uh, Solo. And figure out how you are able to enter that. Go enter it. Check it out. Um, pulling up a chair with a chair shot. Also, Rowdy Energy, the official energy drink of In the Marbles with Soda and Ethan. Lionel Racing, the official diecast producer of NASCAR. Do not forget, Saturday, October 29th at 2 p.m. Only on NBC. The Xfinity Series will be racing at Martinsville. Uh, the next day, Sunday, October 30th at 1 p.m., uh, NASCAR Cup Series will be racing the Xfinity 500 on NBC at Martinsville Speedway. Um, other than that, I think I'm solid. Uh, don't forget to rate and review the show on all the platforms, whichever platform you listen to us. And uh, follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at In the Marbles Pod. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, there is a link to the Facebook in some one of our Twitter posts. I don't know which one. I need to put that somewhere. Yeah. But uh, pretty much if you search in the marbles with soda and Ethan, it'll, it'll pop up. Uh, you can also email the show at in the marbles pod at gmail.com and go to watermaneuver.net and search by store. Click on in the marbles and you can find our shirts. And uh, if you like that, that's an excellent way to, uh, to support the show. And before we get out here, you got anything you want to add? I got to sneeze. Uh, <laughs> as always, <laughs> as always, peace, love, and all the above. And we'll see you next time in the marbles. <laughs>